Um, appreciate you, Steve, very much having that great quiet time. I'm sure it encouraged you. Um, I want to welcome uh, a few people that are visiting with us outside of the gates. Great to have uh, the gates here visiting. Uh, I, I still live in their old complex in Moore Park. Still live there. So uh, we're keeping the gate tradition So of disciples in that area. Uh, I wanted to welcome Kelly from Orange County who was up here part singing. That was great to have you. Also, uh, Shayla from the Turning Point Ministry. Just came back from the Ukraine. There, living there. Yeah, da, bra, bra. Uh, you know, Shayla became a Christian in, when Karen and I were leading the campus ministry uh, at Cal State Fullerton. So we're uh, very happy that she's still a Christian and uh, has survived Karen and I and uh, went over to Ukraine for about a year and now she's back and she's in the turning point. Maybe she's going to move into Shoreline. Amen. That's awesome. It's incredible. It's encouraging. Uh, look in your Bibles in James chapter 3. We're doing the Bible study on uh, the book of James and really drawing from it uh, the word of God to, to administer, administer to our hearts his will. It's a very practical book. Um, we studied out James 1 and James 2. Uh, now we're on James 3. And just to do a little review with you, um, the church was obviously having some very serious challenges, and he's writing to churches that are in the province of Asia. There's many churches he's writing to. Uh, so not just one group, but he's getting, you get the sense he's getting reports, he's, he's hearing what's, what are the needs, and so he jots a letter to them all so they would know what to do spiritually. Uh, in James 1, he, he, uh, he, he admonishes the church to say, Hey, listen, be uh, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Um, he also said that true religion is someone who, who uh, keeps a rein on his tongue. Uh, and he also t- looks after the orphans and the widows. Uh, there's a lot here in the Word of God that's just practical. And in, in Proverbs chapter... Um, let me see my little clicker there, honey. It's right on top of the book. Oh, you look lovely today. That's always good to say that to your wife. You look lovely. You look awesome. Great. Good to see you. Um, in Proverbs 11, the man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. And in the church, uh, people were just kind of, they were just feeling it. And when they felt it, they said it. And you, you know how that is in your own house. Well, what kind of problems that can cause. You know, you, you, have the, you feel free to say it, so you say it. Um, we probably do it less in church and more at home. Less in church, we, we, we know a little better. Go, I'm not going to say that in church. But when we get home, I'll let you know what I really think. Um, it also says, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. You know, when, when you feel someone's just hiding things from you, it discourages the relationship. Uh, when they're withdrawn and they're, they're, they're not being forthright, you know something's wrong and they're just holding it back. It crushes the relationship. And then Proverbs 21, it says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. We can all relate to that. And also in Proverbs 31, it, it speaks of, She speaks with wisdom and faithful in, instruction 
is on her tongue. You know, the power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With the tongue, we can praise God. We can preach the word. We can pray. We can lead others to become disciples. But with the same tongue, we can tell lies that can ruin someone's reputation. We can break a person's hearts. We can crush their spirits. We can, we can cause someone to be very insecure. You know, the ability to speak words is really the ability to influence other people and get uh, some tremendous tasks accomplished spiritually. And yet sometimes we can take this ability to speak, we can take it for granted, this power that we have. So we're going to take a look at the Bible in James 3. The first point I want to make is the tongue is the context. It has the power to direct. Go here, go do this, go do that. Especially if you're, if you're a business owner, when you say things or you have people under your, under your charge, you can give great direction. So in, in James chapter 1, I mean, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1, let's read together. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone never is at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able to keep his whole body in check. Let's stop there for a second. You know, teaching has to be done. Whether you're a minister, whether you're a house church leader, whether you're leading a little Bible talk, uh, whether you're helping someone in, in a, over a cup of coffee, someone's having a hard time, you open the Bible, teaching has to be done. It, it, it has to happen in every layer of the church. Uh, and our church believes that uh, you're competent to counsel, Romans 15. You have the ability to help another Christian be stronger in their faith. So with that in mind, it says, okay, everyone's going to be teaching. Um, but be careful because those who teach need to actually live what they're teaching. Because you'll be judged more strictly. In a sense of, you cannot teach people what you aren't living. Because then you fall under the category of, yes, you're going to be judged. The, the word strictly there is, has a connotation of condemnation. Like, in other words, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't say, oh, I know I should be doing this, but I'm not, but this is going to help you. Well, first you can repent. says, so I'm going to change and be open and humble and confess, and then you can help other people. But that's not an excuse not to teach. Well, I'm not perfect. No, that's not what he's saying here. It's saying here it's, what it's saying here is be aware of that. Be, be cognitive of, of the fact that, hey, if I'm teaching, God's going to judge what I'm saying more strictly. He's going to take a little, little closer look, especially for me when I come up here on Sundays. I mean, I think I feel about that. I'm like, whoa, I better get this right. You know, there's, there's a certain, you know, my life has to reflect the scriptures too. Not just me coming up here and saying great things about God, but living them and being humble and, 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 and the congregation knowing my life is important. Then verse 3, it says, when we, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal... Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. As, we see, as, as Steve still said this uh, morning about Nebuchadnezzar, he made great boasts with his own tongue. You know, both the bit, the horse bit, I'm not a, 
equestrian rider, but I know what that looks like. It's in their teeth, and when you pull it, it's, it, it, it kind of makes the horse listen to you. Uh, and the rudder, which I'm more familiar with, it kind of turns the boat. No matter how powerful the engine, that little rudder guides the direction of the boat. They both have to overcome contrary or opposing forces. And so the bit has to overcome the wild nature of the horse. He's got a, you know, he's a wild, it has to overcome that. And the rudder has to fight the winds and the currents so the ship doesn't go off course. Both have, even though they have, they, they're, they're, they can control, there's always opposing forces that are trying to stop that. The human tongue has to overcome opposite forces. And it's your old sinful nature. It's how you used to talk. You know, I don't talk to walk, talk. Like I, I'm thinking like, do I still talk that way? Oh yeah, okay. It's a song. You know, it's a song that will get you to remind you like, there, there, you, there's, an, there's a nature, there's a force that you have to overcome when it comes to your tongue. And the place where the tongue is most unchecked is inside your body. You talk to yourself. I mean, you talk to yourself loud. Sometimes I'm, I'm in the bathroom talking to myself. Jane's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, um, myself. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm just telling myself things that I should be doing, you know? Or sometimes you talk to yourself going, okay, when I see that brother, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to share my heart, and I'm going to say this, and I'm just, you're trying to find the right way. How should I say, how does this sound? And they're in the mirror, and then son walks in, what are you saying? Oh, nothing. You know, you talk to yourself all the time in your office cubicle, in your sleep, at home washing dishes. You're always talking to yourself. It's, your, it's that nature that you must strike with your tongue. It's that nature that you must control because it wants to come out. We talk more freely at home than we do work. We talk more freely at home than we do at church. And sometimes... You, you let yourself go at home so much, and you can see the effects it has at home. The Bible says here, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I'm reading this book called uh, The Survivor's Club. It's basically a book explaining how people survive tragic events. And there's a story in here that caught my attention about the tongue. It's a story about a man named Kevin Hines. He's from the Bay Area. And he had a monologue with himself. He talked to himself and he went something like this. I'm a terrible person. I have to die. I have to leave my family alone because I'm going to hurt them. And when he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge on September 24, 2000, he hadn't really slept in two weeks. More than a year earlier, he'd been diagnosed with a bipolar disorder, frequent call, frequently called manic depression, and he struggles up and down, you know the cycles. And he wrote six suicide letters in a notebook before setting, settling on the right words. He didn't want to be too mean to his parents, who had adopted him as an infant. He addressed his farewell letter to them along with his sister, brother, and best buddy. That morning, his father, Pat, dropped him off at the city college, in, at San Francisco neighborhood. Heinz kissed him on the cheek, which was a family tradition, and said, I love you. His dad said, I love you too, Kev. Be careful. Have a good day. Kevin knew that it was the last time he would see, they would see each other. 
He stopped for English class where he signed his suicide note. Sincerely, John Kevin Hines. Please forgive me. Then he got up from class and said goodbye, took a bus to Walgreens where he stole his last meal, Skittles and Starbursts. And then he boarded another bus for a short ride to the bridge. Hines says the voice is in his head, talking to himself. You have to die. Jump now. You're not a good person. Then a more rational voice would take over and saying, I don't want to die. Get off the bus. The first voice would, would fire back. Shut up. You're going, you're going there and you're going to die. And Hines wept quietly in his seat in the very back of the bus. He had hope, hoped that someone would ask, Are you okay? Is something wrong? Can I help? If anyone had shown even the smallest sign of caring, he would have told them everything. If a single human being had reached out that day, he wouldn't have gone through the, he wouldn't have gone through the jump. Hines says that these thoughts are common to people who are, can struggle with suicide. But no one bothered to extend a hand or utter a word. When the bus reached its final destination on the bridge, everyone got off, but Hines didn't move for a few moments. He was still crying, hoping the driver would just ask if he was all right. Instead, the man at the wheel shouted, Get off! Bawling, Hines wandered around the bridge for 40 minutes, desperate for someone to say anything. Again, no one even noticed. At 9.45 a.m., finally, he found the spot to jump near the 101st piling of the bridge. The voices in his head were debating fiercely, jump, stop, jump, stop. Suddenly, a beautiful woman in big fashionable sunglasses approached him. Heinz thought, here is my savior. This is it, fantastic. In a European accent, the woman asked, will you take my picture? Heinz was shocked. He thought, lady, can't you read my mind? Don't you know what's going on here? Can't you see the tears flying down my face? Heinz snapped a few photos and exchanged pleasantries. Nobody cares, he told himself. Then he heard a voice say, jump now, do it, go. And he ran and he catapulted himself over the Golden Gate Bridge onto the waters. And on, way, on his way down, 95% of people that jump off the Golden Gate Bridge die. It's not a peaceful death. Because the, the water shatters your bones and, you, and, you, and you, what happens is you end up drowning. Or your, or your vertebrae are snapped and you can't move and you can't, you can't swim. Well, he went head first, going down into the bridge and decided and said to God, I, I want to live. I don't want to die. And so he jerked his head back and was able to, as he's falling the 200 plus feet, to jerk, 500 plus feet to jerk his head back. And he landed, what doctors said, was the absolute perfect angle of entering the water. The doctor said they didn't believe his thing about God. They said, a gust of wind must have turned you over. And as he landed, he broke some vertebrae in his neck. His bones were shattered. His pelvis was shattered. And he couldn't swim. And a sea lion came by. He didn't know it was a sea lion, but it kept holding him up above the water. It kept pushing him above the water. And, uh, and then the Coast Guard came and rescued him. And that's why he's in the book as a survivor. Sometimes there are things externally. But what Kevin Hines was needing was the power of the tongue. A, a simple, are you okay? Are you having a tough time? I think we see a lot of people in our community that are like that. And I think we, we get intimidated because we see tears. We wouldn't know what to say. We wouldn't know how to approach it. It makes us feel awkward. But sometimes people like that just need, just need a question. Hey, are you okay? Is something wrong? The power of the tongue can bring life. And I've seen people cry sometimes. You know, even I get insecure going, oh, they must have 
challenges in their personal life. I, I don't want to get involved. You see that. And this story convicted me that I need to be much more aware of the power of my tongue that can help. Just a simple, are you okay? Is something wrong? This young boy was crying out. He survived the fall. And he thanks God every day of his life. He still struggles with depression, but he's grateful that God allowed him to live. The story of Kevin Hines. You know, our bit, our rudder, our tongue can affect lives. Whether it's a runaway horse or being in a shipwreck, it can hurt people. Never underestimate your words. Never underestimate what God can do with your words. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, her life and the lives of the village changed forever. When Peter, who denied Jesus three times, preached to 3,000 plus people, or 5,000 plus, on on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were baptized. The power of the tongue. The power to give life. If we shut our mouths and shut our tongues, it brings death to our society. Because the words of God are not coming out. It's very simple to do. And I want to encourage all of us to open our eyes and be aware of just the simple needs in your neighborhood. Because the way I think about it, if I'm struggling in my marriage and I'm a true disciple, they're definitely struggling in their marriage. That's how I convince myself. I don't know what you tell yourself, but that's what I tell myself. I'm married to a pretty awesome woman and I still have a hard time. So that helps me going, hey, is everything okay? It helps me. That's why I talk to myself. Second point is our tongue has the power to destroy. Consider what in verse, uh, uh, let's continue on in James 3. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. As we live in this area, we know what that means. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. Our words can start fires. You know, look at this proverb here. It says, without a wood... Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers, as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You know, when I was a, in, in, in grade school, um, there was a situation where there was this guy, he was verbally aggressive. He's always w- walking around. He's saying mean things to people. And everyone was scared to him. I was scared of this guy. Uh, I, I didn't want to cross this path too much. And so um, in sixth grade, I was new, it was a new junior high school, and I was excited to be there. And, we, you know, we were going through classes, and it, you, you see this guy all the time. He, he would do what he wanted. He'd walk through you. He wouldn't say, excuse me. He'd pl- especially me being, you know, being my size in junior high. Uh, I, he, he never saw me half the time. He always kept, I, I, I remember, it seemed like he was always trying to bump me. 
And so um, what ended up happening was um, he went by me and brushed me. And as all kids during that time, they usually no one said anything. You just kind of go off with your day and avo- avoid this guy. Just go on your day. And I turned around and said, hey, I'm tired of you bumping me. Watch where you're going. And I was, I was ticked. And when I said those words, I, saw, I thought, I shouldn't have said those words. Because <laughs> he turned around. First, he did, the, he did the typical theatrical stop. And then he turns around. And when he turned around the moment, that, as that moment he turned around, in my heart, I was like, Mommy! <laughs> I was like, oh no. And I wanted him to go look at me and walk away. That's what I wanted him to do. He didn't do that. He walked toward me and says, what are you going to do about it? I said, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Thinking that was, it was going to be a stalemate. We're just going to have this joust of words and it's going to stalemate and we're going to walk away. And people are going to be like, for he's a jogged fellow, for he's a jogged fellow. That's what I was hoping for. And the next thing I felt, I felt this burning sensation in my stomach because he punched me. Not once, but twice. And he kept punching my stomach until I backed up into a wall. And he kept punching and wouldn't stop punching my stomach. And I tried to hit his arms a couple of times, but to no avail. And I, and I said, okay, okay, you win. And then he got up, stopped, looked at me, and went to class. And I thought thought to myself, why did I say those words? Why did I say those words? Why did I cause trouble? On one hand, someone had to stand up to him. On the second hand, I should have been my friend Billy. He's much bigger. (laughs) But Billy wasn't there. And the words I used, I could have probably approached it so much better. Uh, You know, and and even today as an adult, sometimes I I, I feel things I want to say, but knowing in my head, it's going to cause too much conflict. There's a way of saying it where it's serious, it's helpful, but there's a way we also can say it where it's going to cause way too much conflict, and we don't control our tongues. You know, your spouse is usually the person that you can just say it, you know, and we tend to have a less restrictive approach at times with with our tongue toward our spouses or our children. Because more to our children at times because their pushback is not as strong. Sometimes your wife, you're going, whoa, I better not say that again because she got really mad that time. Sometimes your wife can be like, okay, I'm not going to say that ever again, I promise. But sometimes with your kids, they don't have that pushback. And so it can empower you to say even more bolder things to them because their pushback is, is not as, as seen. But they'll push back eventually when they start rebelling, when they start rejecting your beliefs. They'll eventually push back as they get older. So it, our words are so powerful. In verse of Psalm 139, it says this. When you find yourself in bad company at work or at school, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth. I wish I would have did that in sixth grade. As long as the wicked are in my presence, I will... Mm. I don't want to join in their banter. I will muzzle my mouth. I will watch my words. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I'm bantering, I can can go go off the cliff sometimes. 
or if I'm bantering with others, it happens. This scripture is, is convicting to me. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as I'm in the presence of the wicked. It's a pretty cool passage on team ministry. Put a muzzle. Because in the team ministry in high school, they talk a lot. And some of you can get caught up in that. Even at work, you're caught up. It says, watch your ways. Keep your tongue. Muzzle yourself. Proverbs 17. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who is, has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, sometimes I'm pretty cool with, with disciples. If there's conflict, I'm pretty cool. I try to be as cool as I can. And then your wife says something, you're like, your, your wife says something, you're like, what in the world? And I'm not as cool anymore. Like, what? Or someone you, because you're really close to that person and their words may, may mean more than someone who's not as close to you. You ever feel that? And so I lose my coolness. I'm no longer Fonzie. I'm like, whoa. And so that happens in our relationships. The Bible describes that person as this man is seeking to understand. You know, Proverbs 20, verse 5, a man of understanding draws out the heart. Understanding, drawing it out is important. You know, when my wife makes a comment, I try to figure out, try to figure out what's, what's happening behind that comment. What is going on behind that comment? And so it's helpful to talk through it. This is what I hear you saying. Is that, is that correct? No. Okay. Try it again. This is what I, okay. This is what I hear you saying. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Because a lot of times I hear what you're saying, but then I'm putting it through the filter of interpretation. You think I'm the jerk. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Someone has said, but that's what, it, that's what you're trying to say. No, no. That's not what I said. And so we, we want to interpret their words. Through our filter. And women, you do the same thing. You interpret. What do you hear me saying? You think that? No, no. I didn't say that. I said this. But we have this, abil- we have this ability in our bodies to interpret things and we misread it. And we lose our cool. And we lose our understanding, our ability to understand the other person. When you lose your cool. It was okay to do in high school because everyone knows you're immature. But as adults, it's not so cool no more. Because it actually affects your marriage. It really does. A f- humbled, you know, I'm humbled when I'm spoken to disrespectfully. I, 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 I'm humbled at times, and also other times I'm shocked, and then I get hurt. And the hurt to anger is like, I mean, I'm, I'm like a Ferrari sometimes. You know, hurt to anger is, that's a slow process. Let me think what she was trying. It's like, what? And it's like super fast hurt, anger, Ferrari, zero to 60 in millisecond, boom. And that process right there, that, that distance is what I'm trying to focus on in my life. Is, hey, when I'm hurt, the, 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 the point of anger needs to be slow to anger. Because usually anger stems from being hurt. Something hurt you. And when, you're, when you go zero, real fast to anger, you, you, almost, you, you, you don't even want to admit you were hurt. Like, no, I'm not hurt. I'm angry. No, you were hurt. No, I'm not hurt. I'm no, it's because you're so quick to go angry. You, you passed up hurt back on the 405. <laughs> you went right past hurt. And so you didn't want to acknowledge hurt. But hurt has been there the whole time. You just passed it up. He was trying to hitchhike. You're like, leave me alone. 
fire, fires not only start small and grow, but fires create heat as well. And fire burns and it hurts people, and our words can burn and hurt each other. A fire can spread when you give it more fuel, and the more fuel it gets, the faster it goes. That's why in verse 6 it says this, And the tongue is like a fire. It's, it is a whole world of evil among the parts of the body. The tongue spreads its evils through the whole body. The tongue is set on fire by hell, and it starts a fire that can influence all of life. You know, in Psalm chapter 140, I'll see if it's up here. It says, they make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of a viper is on their lips. Not only is the tongue a fire, but it's the tongue, the Bible describes it as a dangerous animal. It's restless, and it cannot be ruled, and it seeks its prey, and then pounces and kills it. I was watching Nat Geo the other day, and I saw a uh, boa constrictor in the water scoping out an alligator. And I was like, yeah, get that alligator. I hate alligators. I was like, hold on, stop, I want to watch this. And here it was. It got the alligator, wrapped it up, and it squeezed it, and his little arms were feeling like, yeah, get that guy. I was all, I was all fired up. And then it started to eat him, the whole alligator. I was like, Phew. That's, record that. Keep that, save that for later. As much as, as, as excited I was to see that, you know how alligators sometimes kill people. I could always get all mad and kill a little, I could always get all, ah, alligators, get those guys. But how the serpent subtly approaches its prey. The alligator had no clue. And it was in the water, in his domain. And that's how the tongue is. It's subtle. It'll get you if you're not watching. You ever say things, you, you, you're shocked, you say, I, I said that. I can't believe I said that. It's subtle. It sneaks up. Because it cannot be ruled. But you must be a watch. You must be alert. And lastly, the tongue has the power To delight, think. Ah, where am I? I think I went, you have to go back to the power to delight. Look in verse nine with me. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been both made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? And can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, the power to delight. Our, our words can encourage God. Our words can help God. Our words can build up God's kingdom. Our words, our words can do so many great things. We can, you ever hear an encouraging comment to you this morning? Hey, bro, it's great to see you. Bro, you look great. How are you doing? I love, I love you. Hey, bro, I want to come over. Those are encouraging, delightful things. But on the other hand, we can say things that are hurtful. And we can curse our brother. That's the tongue. 
And for us to be aware of that is extremely important. Verse 13, and this is the summation of it. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by how much of the Bible he knows. I wasn't say that, sorry. Let him show it by his good life. What's that good life? By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. You know, to be wise and understanding, James says, is to have deeds that are done in humility. What does that mean? That means you're serving without an agenda. You're serving to say, hey, I just wanted to serve. You're not the person that gets attitudes going, hey, no one said thank you, man. No one, no one, no one gave me a card the next day at church. Judy didn't mention anything from the sermon about what I did. Deeds done in humility without a selfish angle on it. That's the deeds done in humility. You know, some brothers got, got to help T and Leslie move yesterday. That was an awesome thing. Autumn got help moving yesterday. That was an awesome thing. Deeds done in humility. But 17. Let's look there. We'll close out. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then it's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Wisdom is humble. Wisdom is gracious and peaceful. The wisdom that it talks about at the end of this chapter describes Jesus. He was humble. Went to the cross for us. He came with grace and truth. He was gracious. And he came and brought peace to our hearts. This is what Jesus did for us. Jesus, this is the amazing point I'm going to make here, was tempted in every way like us, but kept his tongue in check. It can be done. Jesus, in every way, tempted like us. I mean, he used benign words like, Are you so dull? Are your heart still hard? I mean, he went right up to it. Get behind me, Satan! The way he spoke never crossed the line. The way we speak, let's be encouraged that we don't cross the line with each other. If you're angry and sad or mad, there's a way to communicate without making it worse. Let me tell you by experience, don't do it through email. 
nothing good comes from what you say, no matter how, how awesome this sounds. It doesn't sound awesome on that end. It never does. They're for facts, dates, reminders. Maybe happy face. That's it. Don't use text. Don't email it. Don't even leave a voicemail. That's the trap. Well, if he hears my heart, he'll know. No, no, no. That brings more fire. Always face-to-face. Always looking for peace. Looking for graciousness. And always done in humility. Let's pray for the Lord's Supper. God, we thank you for our ability to speak, our ability to reason, and our ability to, to praise you, our ability to, to just the power of destruction we can cause with our tongue, but also the power of life, the power to give, the power to save others through our words that come from your word. God, we are, we are in awe of that ability. We're, and we don't want to take that for granted. We want to emulate Jesus. We want to follow his example. We want to be broken in our hearts and how we've been treating others. God, in our own spirit, God, just when we look at the scriptures, God, it breaks our hearts, God, that thank God for Jesus. Thank you for sending him down because we realize when we, when we read the word, God, we fall short. God, but we want to commit to you. We're striving to live like your word says. But God, thank you for the grace that you give us that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. God, help us to live our lives, God, that please you. Help us to use our tongue for good, to build, to really encourage, to praise, and also to save. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.